0: thank you all for giving. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. You have a Bible? We're going to open up to Deuteronomy 31 today uh, as we conclude uh, our back-to-school study. Uh, I think we'll have a good time in God's Word today around one of my favorite stories, one of the stories in the Bible um, that has made the biggest uh, difference on my life, um, and is, uh, I think it can make uh, a big difference in all of our lives. So Deuteronomy 31, we're going to read, uh, follow along God's Word, if you will. Uh, we're going to read the first eight verses before we get started uh, with our message today. Uh, the Bible says, Then Moses went and spoke these words to all of Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today, and I can no longer go out and come in. Also, the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross over the Jordan. The Lord your God himself crosses over before you. He will destroy these nations from before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua himself crosses over before you, just as the Lord has said. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites in their land, when he destroyed them. The Lord will give them over to you that you may do to them according to every commandment which I have commanded you. Be strong and of good courage. Do not not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all of Israel, Be strong and of good courage. For you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord said, he is the one who goes before you and he will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. I don't have to tell you all that uh, 2020... It's been a little while ago, but it's still fresh in our minds. Uh, 2020 changed a lot of people's habits and routines. Um, while some things were paused or temporarily altered and they reverted back to what they were before, um, I think for a lot of us, we admit that uh, we do things a little differently than we did before. Uh, then, uh, whether it's using an excessive amount of hand sanitizer to the point that your hands are always chapped or just being aware of germs and all that stuff, I think all of us are a little bit different than we were. Some of you were already that way before then and, and we just caught up with you, um, but, but there's no way a glo- Global crisis um, on any scale does not leave a deep impression on the world, uh, the world wars. Uh, changed the world drastically uh, in the 20th century. Uh, 9-11 and the World on Terror uh, changed certain things about the world forever. Uh, and, and 2020 and, and COVID-19 seem to have had as big of an impact on the world. W- whether its thumbprints last forever, time will tell. Uh, but in the recent aftermath, I think we'd all agree that it's, it's still lingering or the effects are lingering. Uh, but beyond just the awareness of hygiene and cleanliness, an area that was undeniably affected for many of us were our shopping habits. Again, maybe not for all, but for a lot. Um, obviously, you know, Amazon was a, was a nine-figure billion-dollar company before the pandemic, but it soared into the trillions in terms of market cap um, after and has become even more of a juggernaut than, than it was. And, and other companies noticed that, and they beefed up their online strategies and online presences because, hey, people were just doing things differently. Um, but but uh, they say it takes about 21 days for a habit to start. Um, So, needless to say, there were more than 21 days that were different back then, and uh, a lot of new habits were formed. And and shopping habits were were some of them that were changed. Now, everybody's uh, situation is different, unique. For some of you, your reality may be on either extreme. Maybe it's no different than it was before. Maybe it's very different. And and again, that's based on your situation. Uh, For Lindsay and I, on the heels of COVID, um, and and have all the different store hours and all the different restrictions, uh, she was going through fertility procedures, and then she got pregnant with Andy. And and y'all know how much that changes your life, especially when, when when a baby is born. So um, we, we kind of just leaned into the fact that, that uh, unless it's groceries or, or um, household stuff, uh, you know, online, it's easy to buy online and, and it gets there pretty quick. So um, And that works out for me because um, I kind of have, have a good idea of what I like when it comes to clothes. So I just buy the new version, uh, the same things I've always, I just buy the same thing again and again and again. So I'll just buy a new version of what I bought two years ago when it wears out. Um, I, I don't really need to go look at stuff anymore. I'm 33, I've lived that life, you know, I'm good. I, I, don't, I don't need to go to the stores anymore. And I, I don't just, I, I do go to stores, but uh, I, I don't need to go shopping is my point. Now, hey, if you like shopping, that's fine. I used to love shopping, but now, you know, I kinda know what I like. Um, and when it comes to shopping, um, I used to get very stressed out. When it, when it was uh, come to shopping for shoes uh, for, for new shoes dress shoes casual shoes um, uh, the, the semi-annual trip to, to go buy new shoes to figure out what what this year's model is going to be or what you got to pick from that was always overwhelming for me now now most of you' all probably notice nowadays I, I, I when I need a new pair of sneakers I just buy the same pair again and again and again and maybe it's a different color but it's usually around the same black or gray uh, I don't need, I don't need to, to, uh, to go and, 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 and look around for other options. For the last four or five years, uh, I just go to Vans.com and I just order the same pair of shoes. If you want to buy me, if you want to, people ask me, hey, what do you want for Christmas? I'm like, I probably need some shoes. I've got shoes in reserve in my closet at home just in case I step in something that uh, I can't get them clean. So uh, that's that's my neurotic mind at work. But uh, don't ask me what I'll do if they discontinue the style because that's an existential crisis that I don't want to. I don't want to think about having, and I don't do well with those. Um, so uh, before before I have a meltdown, uh, we're, we are we are in season uh, a series called Back to School, um, all about getting acclimated with the uh, with the basics, the core ideas of Christian living. Uh, not not really the basic uh, fundamentals of Christianity, but just the things that being a Christian does for your life, the things that the virtues it brings into your life. Um, we're getting familiar with or refamiliar with these core traits and ideas, and we've talked about two so far. They're kind of similar, but they They build off each other. We've talked about faith and confidence. Faith and confidence. We looked at the story of Abraham, who is called the father of faith, um, and he was really the first to have a true dynamic relationship with God based on faith. And then we looked at Moses, who, uh, building on what Abraham started, uh, more than just having faith in God, he learned to find his confidence in the Lord. Abraham shows us that to be right with God, it all starts with faith. And and he shows us that God wants us to trust him. God wants us to be nurtured in a relationship with him and lean on him and become dependent on him and learn to follow him as a result. Moses showed us that if we know God and we put our faith in him, we've officially shifted our confidence out of ourselves and on to him. Uh, we are no longer held back by our weaknesses, our flaws, our fe- fears, or failures. We still have plenty of them, but we bring those to God, and He loves us, and He accepts us, and He has chosen us, and He empowers us uh, to live the life that He's called us to live. And, and, and therefore, we can be confident, not in and of ourselves, but confident through Him and in Him. I think sometimes we move past these basic foundational kind of conversations too quickly before we've internalized these truths and made them personal. So it's just like when you start back to school, and as the kids are getting back into school, uh, they they know this, the first few weeks of school or the first week of school really is about ironing out the basics. It's remembering what you learned last year. It's getting back into the gear of things and making sure you still know those things or recapping, reviewing, relearning those things quickly, um, learning new things that will steer you to the new year, uh, reviewing previous things that are essential as a foundation of knowledge uh, so that you can build on those things. So when we think about going back to school, um, obviously, see there, there's a lot of remind, remembering and reviewing that, that goes along with that. But we don't only think about classes and scoping out the year. Uh, we probably also think about some things that are adjacent to the back-to-school season. Uh, and one of the things that I remember growing up, uh, uh, always doing before going back to school, was shopping. Shopping. I remember as a kid um, dreading the, the back-to-school shopping trip, getting supplies, getting a book bag, and, and, and worst of all, getting new clothes and yes, having to look for new shoes. I told you, it's a stressful experience for me. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't like it. I, it only has gotten more. It only gotten more stressful as I got older, with each new school year. You know, when you're five or six or seven, you go to the shoe store and you want the ones that that light up the most, and the ones that have a character on the side, and they're loud and they're colorful and they make noises when you walk. Um, but when you uh, uh, when you as you get older, you can't walk into school like that. At least maybe maybe you can, but uh, sometimes it doesn't. Doesn't work out there very well, but but you know how it works at school. Some kids have cool shoes. Some kids don't grow up as fast as others and want the fun shoes. And right, and and, and, um, if you're like me, you're you're probably one of the kids that uh, you know would get made fun of. And and y'all, I've told these stories before. I got made fun of a lot in school. I'm self-aware enough to know that uh, it damaged me pretty badly, (laughs) and then I got into a profession where I'm constantly being examined and observed. So there's really no hope for me um, if I'm being honest. So uh, uh, if you wonder why I'm often kind of on edge, it's uh, uh, you know, hey, maybe maybe this message, maybe this message is just for me and people like me. Funny how that. Kind of stuff works doesn't it um so when you're going back to school shopping or when you went back to school shopping there's always that thing in the back of your mind and and maybe this didn't bother you or maybe this didn't dawn on you but it did for me when you're going back to school shopping when you're looking at clothes and shoes you're thinking yeah there's what i want um yeah there's what i want but what about what other people are going to be into Because when you go back to school and you're going into a group of people that you've been around before and that you don't know what the styles and the trends are going to be, you're you're thinking, yeah, there's what I'm into, but what should I be into so that I fit in 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 a way that I'm going to be comfortable in? Now, I, I don't know about you, but I think all of us have thought That before maybe not that explicitly phrased sentence, but we've all had those thoughts, or you can remember having those thoughts when you were in school and you were growing up and you were dealing with all the different peer pressure and all the different social expectations. It's easy to say, "Well, who cares what they think?" But when you're young, you know you go through that sort of thing, and it's hard to diffuse that kind of pressure. But but as you grow up, um, hopefully at some point you come to terms with the fact. That what others think about you, what others say about you, their comparisons towards you, none of that matters. It doesn't take away or add any, any significance uh, to your life. It doesn't add any measure of significance to your life. It doesn't matter what they think or what they say or the comparisons that they make. Now, I hope that that truth can be freeing to somebody today. Because I tell you, when I finally got a hold of this, it was like tons and tons of weight suddenly were lifted off my shoulder. But here's what I know. That pressure isn't just back when you were in school. That pressure goes with you when, when you go to a new job. That pressure goes with you when things change at work. That pressure go, comes on you uh, in family situations, when you're dating, when you're married. This pressure of expectations and comparison and all those sorts of things, that pressure is just always following us along in life, isn't it? All throughout life, we face comparison traps we deal with unsolicited opinions. We face the pressure of being judged, whether by ourselves or whether by others. I tell you, what finally did it for me was being called into ministry. And years into ministry, deciding that I could not live worrying about, what other, what, worrying about all these things. And there's one particular story in the Bible that I credit for saving me, and, and I still struggle with this. I'll be honest with you. When, when you preach on your own weaknesses, you never run out of things to preach on. I struggle with this. Uh, I probably always will struggle with this, Uh, but it's not just because I'm in ministry, but speaking from my own perspective, I think all of us can understand this struggle and we may have different ways of of deflecting it or pretending like we don't deal with it, but I think all of us probably know what the struggle is like. We all deal with those comparison traps as in we walk into something and somebody's comparing us and we compare ourselves and people give their opinions on us and we didn't ask for those opinions, but we kind of get that stuck in our minds and we feel like we are not what we should be. We judge ourselves. Others are judging us constantly. But there's one story in the Bible that I credit, or there's one person in the Bible that I credit for giving me the courage, giving me the courage that I needed to pick the pair of shoes out that fit me and were right for me, and not worrying about what other people thought I should wear and thought I should look like. The courage I needed to pick the pair of shoes that were right for me and were, were fit for me, doing the job that God called me to do, the story I'm referring to and the person I'm referring to, obviously, as we've read already, is Joshua. But as we've also noticed already, when the Bible mentions Joshua, when you think about Joshua, you think about somebody else, don't you? When we think about Joshua, we don't just think of him in and of himself. In, in, in this particular ecosystem, when we hear the, hear the message of Joshua, the story of Joshua, we always also think about Moses. Because you can't talk about Joshua Without also talking about or thinking about or being reminded about Moses. Now Moses, as we learned last week, was God's choice amidst all the Hebrew slaves in Egypt to be the appointed leader and anointed prophet for his generation. And, and Moses' shadow is probably the greatest in all the Bible as in he is the guy that looms large over every page of Scripture. Uh, Moses was uh, was called to go before Pharaoh. He led the people out of bondage. He had these climactic classic moments where he let the world know who the God of Israel was and as a result the whole world knows and celebrates and loves Moses. Maybe be second only to Jesus, Moses has some of the most iconic, quotable, powerful lines in all the Bible, in all of historical literature. When we think about Moses, we can just, even if you don't know the Bible very well, you know some things that Moses said, and the things that he said carry so much power. It was Moses who went in front of Pharaoh and said those famous words, let my people go and dared to stare him in the eye and dared to stand up against the evil king of Egypt and again and again went before Pharaoh and said, I'm not going to bow down. I'm not going to give up. Let my people go. And of course, eventually, he had to or he wasn't going to have a nation left. It was Moses who at the Red Sea when the people were panicking called upon the people and said, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. How powerful is that? The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent I mean, we quote this verse all the time, don't we? When tragedy comes, when unexpected circumstances come, we hear those words, stand still and see the salvation of God. The Lord will fight for you. You just have to be calm and still and quiet and wait. It was Moses after coming down the mountain and seeing the people immersed in sin and bowing down to idols. It was Moses who stood on the mountain and said, who is on the Lord's side, come to me as he drew a line in the sand and said, guys, we are not gonna go back to the way it was in Egypt. We are going to follow Yahweh. And again, Moses' words are so powerful, aren't they? They have so much inspiration and they preach in and of themselves. They don't need someone else to add anything to them. So there's a reason why Moses is revered as the guy in the Hebrew uh, culture and the Jewish people look at him as their, their number one guy. I mean, if they had a Mount Rushmore figure like we do, yeah, Abraham would be on there because he's the founder. Yeah, David would be on there because he was the first you know, major king. But Moses is the guy who would get all the monuments. Moses is the guy that would get all the fame and does get all the fame and all the glory and all the accolades. Moses is their deliverer. He was their savior. He was the lawgiver. He was the original leader. There would be no Israel without Moses. There would be no m- memories of Abraham. He's the one that wrote the stories down that we would have to be per- to, done- to read later. Moses is the guy. I mean, you know the stories of Moses. He was at the Red Sea. He was in the wilderness. He fed them as a people lost, wandering in circles from the sky. He brought the promises of God to reality. He was on Mount Sinai. He saw the glory of God. His face shined with God's glory. He, was, he scoped out the promised land. He ministered to the people. He would wait. He would stand all day long and just hear people's requests and burdens and questions one day after another. I mean, if you know anything about the Bible, you've heard of Moses. And there's hard, it's hard to even compare to Moses. Who could compare to Moses? And if you've read the story of Moses, you'll know that in the background of Moses' story is a guy named Joshua. And we never really get a formal introduction to Joshua. He's just always there. There's one story when they're preparing for battle as they as they uh, initially leave Egypt, and the Bible says that Joshua did as Moses told him, and and there's no ceremonial introduction. Hey, this is Joshua. He's he's Moses's helper. We just kind of get this verse. Joshua just did what Moses told him to do because that's what Joshua was for. He was a servant. He was just a hey. I'm going to do what you tell me to do. He he wasn't anything special. He was just he was just a kid, who was. The helper of Moses. And, and later on, the, the Bible actually tells us explicitly in Exodus 24, Moses rose with his assistant, Joshua. And, and, but, but, but make it clear, Moses went up on the mountain, not the assistant. I mean, assistants just keep the books and keep the minutes and write down the notes. and Assistants don't go on the mountain with God. And then even more specifically, uh, Exodus 33 says, The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, a young man, would not depart from the tent. So don't get it mixed up. Moses has got to go on the mountain and, and see the glory of God. But the little assistant, the young guy, he was just down there guarding the tent door. Because, I mean, he was Moses' assistant, but he wasn't anything special. Anybody could do Joshua's job. So we get that Moses' assistant, he's not even the sidekick. I mean, at least sidekicks get their own spinoff and get their own story sometimes. But who's the most famous assistant in the world? Assistants don't get a a lot of attention, don't get a lot of credit, don't get a lot of fame. Joshua keeps showing up in the story though, and Moses surprisingly chooses Joshua to be the leader of the spies that go into the promised land. But if you know that story, it's not Joshua that comes back and becomes the beloved hero. It's Caleb. Caleb's the one that stands up and says, hey y'all, we can take the land. I'm strong. I'm brave. I'm a warrior. I can do this myself. Just let me loose into the land, and I'll go and slay the giants, and I'll go and take the land that God has given us. There's grapes the size of, 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 of people there. The land's flowing with milk and honey. I mean, I'll Roll my sleeves up and I'll go do the job. So, I mean, if anybody's going to be the next leader, it would be somebody like Caleb. He had passion, he had vision. But as you know, they don't enter the land. They have to wait 40 years before they get to do that. And at that point, Moses is very, very, very old. And he's, uh, at the end of his life, he was struggling getting up and down, as the scripture says. And he wasn't going to get to lead the people in. And everyone had been waiting for this day to come. And they knew it was going to come. But they all were worrying, who's going to succeed Moses? Who's going to take Moses' place? It was daily kitchen table conversation. It was what was on the news if there would have been such a thing back then. Who is going to take Moses' job? Who is going to be the next leader of Israel? Because for 80 years, Moses was the face of Israel. There was no God's word without Moses. There was no communication with God. There was no leadership in the nation without Moses. Israel only knew God vicariously through Moses. And Moses and God let it go all the way down to the wire before announcing his replacement as the leader, both nationally and spiritually, of Israel. Let's, let's, let's think behind the scenes here. Why do you think they waited so long? Why do you think they didn't announce this in advance? Why do you think this wasn't announced? You know, people, big, big, big leaders and, and, and big figures in history that have the ability to kind of pass the torch. This is something that people announced well in advance. But wh- why didn't they do this with Moses? I think I know why. I, I think you can figure it out. Nobody was going to be able to replace Moses. Nobody. Especially in the people's eyes. Anyone who who was going to step in Moses' shoes would have an impossible task at hand. Even a hand-picked, thoroughly vetted successor could never fill his shoes. This happens all the time in sports, politics, entertainments, when certain people gain tremendous notoriety, when they achieve success. Whoever wears that jersey, whoever bears that number, whoever sits at their desk, whoever takes that role, they never, ever can live up to expectations. You're never going to be able to do what the, what the guy that made it famous was able to do. So here we have in Deuteronomy 31, Moses addresses the nation. and He says, oh, by the way, Joshua, my assistant, he's your guy. And then over in Deuteronomy 34, we get a little bit more information about Joshua's installment, if you will. Joshua's installment, uh, the end of the very chapter. I want you to notice kind of the way this is framed, and I want you to to notice what's said and who gets most of the glory in this passage. Look at verse 8 through the end of the chapter. It says this, The children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. So Moses has died like they knew it was going to come. And they, 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 are, they are there at the edge of the promised land and they are all completely despondent because they had never known a life without Moses. Moses was their savior. He was their rock. He was their connection to God. And they spend 30 days unable to move forward. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. So we're, we're, told, we're, we're told that Joshua was capable. Joshua was ready for the... Was, was maybe not ready, but he was positioned and equipped for this job. For Moses had laid his hands on him. And, and that doesn't just mean he literally laid his hands on him, but Moses had trained him and raised him up and, and put, poured everything into him. So the children of Israel, Israel heeded him. And that's a, word, that's a word that pretty much means... They, they, they respected Moses' decision, but let's just say they wouldn't have voted for him if it was a, of an election. Let's just say he wasn't their first choice. Let's just say that the assistant who was always kind of in the background of the picture, let's just say he wasn't the guy they were ready to vote into office. But hey, Moses is Moses. He said this was going to happen, so we got to go along with Moses. He's gone now. We can't, we can't change his mind. So they heeded him and did as the Lord commanded Moses. And and then this is what the, 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 the scene was after Moses is gone, after Joshua is installed or however it worked. Look at who they're still talking about. But since there was arisen, but since then there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face in all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt before Pharaoh, before all the servants and all his land, and by all the mighty power and all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of Israel. So Joshua is anointed and given what he's needed to do, but everybody's crying about Moses. They're still talking about Moses. They're still reminiscing about Moses. Can you imagine how Joshua must have felt? As he was trying to decide, how am I going to lead these people? Because they're never going to look at me like they looked at Moses. Here's how I know that Joshua was dealing with this. Because just a page over is when the book of Joshua starts. And the book of Joshua starts not with Joshua addressing the nation, but with God addressing Joshua. Joshua. And it's clear by the words of God and how much God repeats himself that Joshua was trying to no avail to find the strength to do the job he had been given to do. God begins to talk to Joshua in a very uplifting, very encouraging way, which lets us know that Joshua was not in a very good place mentally, emotionally, spiritually. He was just not ready for this. And the words that God gives to Joshua might be some of the most powerful words that anyone ever says over you. Look over at Joshua chapter one and and follow along with me at Joshua one, one through nine. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He can't get rid of that label, can he? Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. So God isn't giving Joshua much time to figure this out, is he? Every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness in Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory." And verse 5 is when God really starts talking to Joshua. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As in, I know what you're worried about, Joshua. I know what you're afraid of. I know what your insecurities are. I get it. I get it. I get it. Nobody's ever going to stand up to you and tell you that this isn't your job, that you're not the man for this job. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Remember that time those people tried to rebel against Moses and I swallowed them with the earth? I'll do the same thing for you, Moses. You're my guy. I have... I've put my hand on you. I've put my spirit in you. I have bet everything on you. I'm not looking for anyone else to do this job. Be strong and of good courage. For this, to this people you shall divide an inheritance like land, the, the, uh, the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe and do everything according to do according to the law, which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. And for a third time... Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage? Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let me help you read the scriptures and know the scriptures. Anytime God repeats himself that much, it's because people are having trouble getting it right in their heads. So when we read, not once, not twice, but three times, be strong and of good courage, do not be afraid, it may suggest that someone feels very weak, does not have a lot of courage, and is very afraid. Thankfully, God doesn't mind taking as many times as it takes to get us where we need to be. God has helped Joshua, pull Joshua up for this moment, and now he offers him help. Uh, for, he's going to offer him help in, in similar situations going forward, and he's going to help us, I think. This text is so powerful. We've all felt the weight of stepping or walking in someone else's shoes. We've all bore the burden of comparison, whether we compared ourselves or others were comparing us to other people. We've all felt the pressure from society or from social expectations, from others, from ourselves. We've dealt with this at home, at work, at school, everywhere that we go. And, 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 and I, verse 1 uh, verse, verse one and 2, really, uh, it's, it's kind of blunt the way God just kind of starts talking about this. In, in verse 2, he says, Joshua, Moses is dead. As great as he was and as great things that he did, and I hear what people are saying. I know what everyone's focused on. I hear what they are all talking about. They can't stop talking about Moses and Moses and Moses. Everybody wants to talk about Moses, and they miss Moses, and they want Moses. But let me just say that what's obvious. He's gone. He's not coming back. Not on this earth, anyway. And that's not to denigrate Moses. Clearly the Bible memorializes Moses more than anyone else. But come on, Joshua, there's only one Moses and he's gone. So it's time that you embrace who you are and walk in your shoes. I know that's easier said than done, but I can't fix those people who can't stop talking about Moses, but I can help fix your ears and help your mind deal with this. Who cares if Israel can't get over Moses? They're going to do that forever. They're going to be talking about Moses for hundreds and thousands of years. Right now, whether they realize it or not, they need a leader. And they don't need a lesser version of Moses. They need the best possible version of you. So don't try to be Moses. Be Joshua. I know that sounds very basic, but it's also very profound, isn't it? Don't try to be Moses. You're never going to be Moses. If you, if you attempt to be Moses, you're just going to be a worse version of him. You're Joshua. Be Joshua. And I love how God in verse 5 just reaffirms his, his approval or his, his choice of Joshua. No man shall stand before you or no man's going to be able to stand up to you or, or, or talk you out of this place. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsaken you. Listen, listen, Joshua, I'm not going to have a vote of no confidence in you. I'm not replacing you. You're my guy. I am, I am with you all the way. You're going to mess up. You're going to fail. You're going to struggle, but you're my guy. I chose you. I'm not bailing out. I don't do that. Could the same thing be true about you? Does God say the same things about us? You know, we often think about God as if he's just ready to cut us loose in any minute. Oh, man. You know, we, and we often, we leverage that over other people, don't we? We leverage that kind of fear over others. Oh, hey, you, don't, you, know, you, you better watch out. You, God might just say, hey, hey I'm done with this. You, is that really the God that we serve? God says to Joshua, I am with you, not because Moses or what Moses did, or if you do things like Moses, I'm with you because I've chosen you. And then again in verse 6 and 7 and 9, we hear him say, Be strong and of good courage. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and of good courage and do not be afraid. God says, Joshua, I've got a gift for you. And there's a gift for all of us today. I want to give you courage courage to be who i've called you to be and you know what i think the message for us in this text is and the message that that is bigger than just the story of joshua god is trying to give all of you all of us the courage to be yourself the courage to be ourselves courage to be who god has called you to be courage to walk in your shoes and to step in to fill your shoes not someone else's shoes Now we must open God's word. We must lean into God for help. Verse 8 tells us we must meditate on the word day and night. If we are going to seek out God's calling and step into God's calling, it's going to require, next slide, that we be the best possible version of that person that God has called us to be but we'll never ever arrive at this place or achieve this if we're constantly falling into comparison traps and listening to other people's opinions. You say, well, they just keep dragging me down. I get it. I know how life is. This chapter is permission for you to tune them out. And when somebody tries to compare or someone tries to drag you down and someone tries to say, but this and that, and I I think this, when someone tries to do that to you, you have the power from God's word to say to them, I don't care, maybe, you know, you you can weigh the risk. You look at them and say, listen, I don't really want to listen to anything you're saying to me. Because I got the word from God that as long as I'm searching his word and seeking his word and leaning on him and following him, he called me to be me. He didn't call me to ask you what I should do and who I should be. He called me to talk to him and follow his plan for my life. When I got into ministry, I was constantly being compared to other pastors and preachers. Receiving opinions and unrequested evaluations from people. And that's part of the job. I get it. But it was hard for me not to dwell on it. And, and, and people didn't do this. They didn't do this from a mean place or a bad place. And, and they didn't do this. And people don't do this because they're trying to tear. I don't, I, I don't want to think that they're doing this for that. And I think most people don't. Some do, but most don't. You see, church is a highly sentimental institution. And what I mean by that is that we all have experiences in our faith journey that outrank others And all of us are sentimental about the circumstances that we were closest to God and received the most from God and we all are very sentimental about that time in church when we had the perfect pastor and the perfect preaching and the perfect pastoring style and approach and the personality and everything was just perfect and we all are very sentimental to that and it's hard for anybody to ever replicate that for us. And... Church people, we don't, you don't, we don't do this maliciously. We just do it naturally. So for a kid like me, I walked into people's lives who had their own version of the ideal. They had their own Moses they were very fond of, and they would always be fond of, and they always wanted their pastor, their preacher to be like that Moses, For a long time, I thought I've got to replace that person. I've got to be that person for them. I've got to do more than that person did. I don't even know who those people are. I don't even know who those pastors are, but I've got to do my job in a way that makes them think, well, he's doing it better than Moses did it. So many different times, instead of of asking God to lead me, I would try to mimic what he had led others to do. And listen, that was a miserable, unhealthy, unsustainable, Experience. And every once in a while, I, I, I'm tempted to go back down that road. Many a pastor, regardless of their age, walk in and out of ministry or particular churches because they weren't rescued by Joshua's story like I was. Listen, now y'all, not, y'all might not be pastors with a story like mine, but your husbands, your wives, your parents, your employees, your people, and you are constantly under pressure, and you're always facing comparisons and we surrender so much joy and peace and potential because we're always trying to walk in someone else's shoes and the people that are pressuring us they might not they might not realize they're doing it and they might not be doing it from a bad place some of them are definitely but not all not most of them I might not, and this might not prevent people from doing that and those thoughts from getting in our heads, but at least now we have a text to turn to and counter those voices. Joshua needed this reminder. He needed God to speak these words of life over him. And, and this is something that we need to speak over our life every day. So I don't know what Joshua did with this, but he, you know, in my head, I'm thinking Joshua took these words of God and he meditated on them. He internalized them. Maybe he said something like this. I'm not Moses. I'm Joshua. I'm different, but no less fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, you can fill in the blank. I don't know who, who you're compared to. You might be compared to some fake, fictitious version of you that will never exist, never has existed. Whether it's a, a, a person in your position, whether it's family, home, work, whatever it is, you know, church. I don't know who your Moses is, but maybe you would be freed today if you would say those words. I'm not Moses. I'm me. I'm different than Moses. But I'm no less fearfully and wonderfully made than Moses was. Again, you can, you can write that down and you can feel and it. And it would be life-changing for you to write that down and in, that, in the place of Moses, just write somebody's name or write something that you're thinking that you tell yourself, hey, comparison, burden, expectations. I'm not Moses. I'm me. I'm different. But I'm still fearfully and wonderfully made. And... God, give me this courage that you promise so that I might seek out your will for my life and walk only in my shoes along my path because it's not someone else's path that I'm called to walk in. It's my path. It's my shoes. The secret to overcoming comparison and pressure, the secret to finding this kind of courage is is knowing that God has a unique, perfect plan for your life. If you open his word and meditate day and night, you find the courage and wisdom to honor him. And all the while you have a peace that cannot be found anywhere else. God didn't call any of us to be a copy or a lesser version of someone else. He called you to be you. Listen, we all struggle with We struggle with this at home. We, we, we put expectations on our spouses. We do this, right? I do this. We all do this. We, we do it without even thinking. And we need to be honest about this and confess this and, and not do this, right? We, we are constantly putting pressure on people, whether it's, people, whether it's employee to employer, whether it's, uh, what, or employer to employees, pastors and churches, home, family, right? Parents, kids, husbands, wives. We do this, Right? But, but God did not call you to be a lesser version of you, he didn't call, or of someone else. He didn't call you to be a copy of someone else. He called you to be you. If he didn't want you, he wouldn't have called you. That's how it works. He didn't need any of us. If he wanted all, all of us to be Moses, he would have just made a bunch of Moseses. And that, I know that sounds very simple, but maybe that can change some of our lives because we've never thought about it that way. There is a best possible version of you. It's found not comparing yourself or bowing to others' pressure. It's found in turning to God, taking on the courage and wisdom he wants to give you. So Joshua got up from this place and said, okay, I gotta be me. Maybe the greatest test that Joshua would ever face as to if he was gonna stick to this plan or not would come just a few days later when they crossed the plains of Moab and they came up on the horizon of the promised land, but they had a big problem in front of them. The raging, swelling Jordan River. No worries, though. Because Israel knew a thing or two about crossing rivers, didn't they? Can't you imagine Joshua thinking to himself, I got to do this like Moses did it. I mean, if I can't go in front of this river and I can't hold a staff up and I can't say stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, if I can't call the water to stand up and move what's to the left and the right, if I can't do this, and can't you imagine everybody in the camp was expecting that? I mean, Joshua, are you going to do it like Moses did it? Are you going to do it exactly like Moses did it? Are we going to feel like they did when Moses did it? Are we going to have the tingling and the sensation and all the awe and the wonder that Moses' generation had? I mean, you can imagine what Joshua was feeling on this moment. And God knew this could be a setback for Joshua. So he had a prepared word just for Joshua and also just for us. Flip over to chapter 3, if you will. Joshua chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. God says to Joshua as as they're taking it all in. The Lord says to Joshua, this day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of Israel that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. Now you can tell God is building Joshua up because he's still living in the shadow of Moses. You will command the priest who bear the Ark of the Covenant saying, when you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. Oh, how's that going to work? Okay, Joshua, I know you've you've read this. I know you were there when the rod and the waters, and y'all have seen the movie Charlton Heston with the big... It's not going to work that way. You got to convince the people to walk into the river when it's the most raging, dangerous it's ever been. Come again. I mean, can't, can't God, God, clearly God is doing this on purpose, right? Joshua can't, God saying, God, Joshua says to God, can it just be the same way? But God says, no, it's not going to be the Red Sea part two. It's not going to be a redo or a sequel of what you've seen before. It's a standalone, brand new, unique moment in history. I'm doing this for your own good, Joshua. Could it be done the same way? Yes, but that's not God's way. And you know what I think is the message for us today? Are there things that can happen in your life like they happen in someone else's life? Yeah, absolutely, but that's not how it works usually because God doesn't want you to just be a copy of somebody else. And God wants you to get a hold of this and be freed by this again if you're Joshua remember this when you come if if you're a Joshua and we all are remember this when you come to your Jordan rivers Joshua wasn't about to revert back to those old fears and anxieties he owns the moment he stands in courage and he takes charge in verse 9 he says to the children of Israel come here and hear the words of the Lord your God by this you shall know the living God is among, among you, that he will dri- without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. He's not going to leave any of them out. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe, and it shall come to pass... As soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. The waters that come from upstream, they shall stand up as a heap. So Joshua and the leaders of the tribes and the, and the priests get on the front line. And, and the scripture tells us down in verse number 15 that the water of the Jordan were overflowing during the harvest season. But they weren't afraid. So Joshua, as their leader, says, guys, I'm not going to pull a Moses. I'm not going to raise the staff. I'm not going to say, stand still. I'm not going to do that. I can't do that. I'm not him. I'm going to walk into these waters and you guys are going to follow me into these waters. It's something different. And, And church... We don't have the luxury of seeing water's part all the time and and protecting us from the approaching enemies as we cross. That's not how it works for most of us. Most of our stories are like this. We are called to step into the water, and as we go, the path will be made. That's the picture of the Christian life. Can God do it the other way? Yeah, but most of the time, it's like this. By faith, we step into the water, and then God begins to make a way. So if we're going to serve God in our generation, we've got to have the courage like Joshua had. Courage to be ourselves and walk in our God-given shoes. As we've talked the last couple of weeks about faith and confidence and courage, they're kind of all the same thing. It's like a, Ru- a Rubik's Cube. that The colors can all uh, be different, but it's kind of the same, the same puzzle. Courage, confidence, and faith all come from the same place. Trusting in the Lord and being matured and grounded as a believer. After Israel crossed the Jordan, now the complete unknown was in front of them. Now was the, the time to take the land that was promised to them, but it was occupied by their enemies. Joshua was going to have to step up and not just be a leader. He was going to have to be a commander of their armies. He fell out of his league. There was no Moses baseline because Moses was never a warrior by no means. So now Joshua is going to do something that he had no one to compare himself to. And to make matters worse, the Bible says that as they began, as they crossed the Jordan, the manna stopped falling from heaven. So the pressure was on Joshua to lead the people in the conquest because if they didn't start getting settled down, they wouldn't have anything to eat. So God put him up against the wall and he says, Joshua, you've got to step up. You've got to keep the courage. Over in chapter five, verse 13, as Joshua's up on a mountain looking over the plains of Jericho, which would be the first city on their conquest. As he's looking over the plains of Jericho, Joshua gets paid a very special visit. Remember those verses from earlier how it was Moses that got to go up on the mountain it was Moses who got to see God but we know the real story Moses had to hide behind the cleft of the rock because he really couldn't see God it was the backside of God and his face would shine because it was so he had to put a veil on because he couldn't stand to be in the presence of God and that was only on Mount Sinai so any hope that Joshua would ever have that kind of experience with God was left behind them or so he thought So here Joshua is on the mountain looking over Jericho wondering, am I able to do this job? And it says, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked and a man stood opposite of him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said are you for us or are you for our adversaries and so he said no but as commander of the army of the lord i have now come so joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him why what does my lord say to his servant and joshua gets a a a a, a revelation a, a pre-incarnate god in flesh He wasn't hiding behind a rock. He wasn't wearing a veil. He was looking at him with his own eyes. Something Moses never got to see. And the commander of the Lord's army gives Joshua some words to live by. Take off your sandals. Take off your shoes. For the place where you stand is holy. He said, Joshua, let me give you some words to live by. You'll never go wrong if you remember this. Remember. It's your unique shoes. It's God's holy ground. Joshua, this moment, it's not too big for you. I've called you because I want you. And we've already went through that. Moses is gone. You're my guy you think you can't do this but yeah you can you think you're inadequate you think you have not got the ability in and of yourself you don't but through me and through the strength I've given you you keep walking in your shoes but you remember before you go down this mountain and start fighting take your shoes off and stand on this dirt it may seem like dirt to you but it's holy ground I've put you in this place for a reason beyond your wildest imagination don't ever forget I've called you to walk in your shoes the ground that I've given you is holy because I I have said so. Keep your eyes on me. I'll take care of the rest. Church, I don't believe for our day and time there's a more powerful, more liberating story in a world where we're always comparing ourselves, always putting pressure on ourselves, always wondering if it's going to be as good as it was or can it be better than it may be. We're always feeling as if we have not got it in us and by the help of God we can step up and rise up and be who he's called us to be in our generation at home, at work wherever we go, at school, at play whatever we've been given an opportunity to do we've got to stand still and we've got to see the moment for what it is God has given us unique shoes to walk in the ground he's put underneath us is holy and just like Joshua it says and Joshua did so we've got to do the same Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, neither be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you. Don't worry about what he's doing with somebody else. Don't worry about what he's doing, what he might be doing or could be doing with you if you were different and this and that. If you're following the Lord, and, and a lot of it, that's a step we need to take. If you're, if you're meditating on the Lord day and night, if you're following, striving, seeking the Lord, you've got to find the courage to tune out those other voices, to tune out the enemy's doubt and deception. Keep your eyes on Jesus because that's who he has saved and that's who he wants to use, not somebody else. May God encourage us and give us the courage we need to be who he's called us to be. Don't worry about what other people's shoes look like. You walk in your shoes. That's the person that God has called. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for, Lord, I'll be honest, what is such a powerful, liberating message to me, but also one that I still have so much room to work on Lord, I'm constantly worrying about what people think, and I'm constantly dealing with people's expectations and comparison. I I deal with all this all the time, and you know it, God, more than I know it. You see me, and you ask me, hey, what is wrong with you? Have you not heard? Have you not known? I've chosen you. God, I think all of us, we, we need this kind of reminders. We need to be lifted up, and we need to be encouraged because we fall so short, and we become so fragile in our minds. God, as you were faithful to Joshua and as you kept Joshua and as you chose Joshua and showed your approval of Joshua because he trusted in you, Lord, I pray that you would remind that to everybody here today. You would give people the courage they need to be who you've called them to be. They wouldn't look over their shoulder. They wouldn't look to the left or the right. They'd look to you. They'd realize the ground they're on is holy and they would seize the moment to walk in the shoes you've given them. We ask you for the help And we look to you for guidance in Jesus' name, amen.